Welcome to Honey from the Rock, a podcast devoted to Bible exposition. My father, Jack Christensen, preached expositionally for over 50 years, first as a missionary to Pakistan and later as a pastor in New England. His legacy lives on in me. He often began his sermons with a little expression, and now a little honey from the rock, taken from Psalm 81, verse 16. The psalmist wrote, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Today, more than ever, we need to feed our souls on the words of God in the Bible. The crying need of the church is for God-centered, word-explaining messages. So now, my friends, a little honey from the rock. The numbers are staggering. The average American home has 4.4 Bibles. On average, 100 million new Bibles are printed every year, and there are currently a projected 6 billion Bibles in print. The number of Bibles sold each year has doubled since 1950. Incredibly, 1.66 million Bibles are sold every month, which works out to 6.4 Bibles sold every 10 seconds. On another 115,000 Bibles are given away or distributed every day. We have access to the Word of God more than any other generation in history, yet we read and study the Bible less than any generation in history. We have it. We don't use it. John Plake, leading researcher for the American Bible Society, wrote in the 2022 State of the Bible Report, what we discovered was startling, disheartening, and disruptive. The data they found said that roughly 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible during covid In 2021, about 50% of Americans said they read the Bible three to four times a year. That's not much, of course, but it is something. In one year, the percentage dropped to 39% who read the Bible a few times a year. It is the sharpest decline since they started tracking the data. It gets worse, my friends. They found that 13 million of the people who had previously been most engaged in Bible reading were now reading the Bible less as well. Why? Because the Bible is not considered relevant to our lives. People, even Christians, consider the Bible peripheral to the things that really matter to them. The Bible is something many consider for a few minutes each week at church, if they go to church regularly, but then it's forgotten or lost in the important matters of our busy lives. My friends, our reaction to the Word is determined by our reception of the Word. 
We receive the Bible casually, apathetically, and even worse, skeptically. The Bible is like a smorgasbord. We pick and choose what we want, or we ignore it completely. We don't hunger and thirst after the Word of God. And the result is that the Bible has no impact on our lives. Listen to what James the Apostle wrote in James 1, verses 19 to 21. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility— And here's the key thought now from James. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Let's take a look at our reaction to the Bible in verses 19 and 20. Our reaction to the word. James 1, 19 to 20. This you know, James says in verse 19. Well, what is it that we know? He just told us in verse 18. We know that God brought us forth. He birthed us by the word of truth. We are new creations, new lives in Jesus Christ. James is expanding on the idea that we are born again to a new life by God's word. He's pointing out that knowledge about new life in Jesus does not equal possession of new life in Christ. Knowledge about the Word, that is, about the Bible, does not equal knowledge of the Word. We can know much about Christianity and even profess Christianity without possessing Christianity. James is reminding us that receiving the Word of God must lead to living the Word of God. Our reception of the Word should produce the right reaction to the Word of God on a daily basis, or it's not genuine Christianity. It's not real. It's not authentic. James explains three characteristics of a right reaction to the Word of God in verses 19 and 20. We should understand these three statements in the context of how we relate to or respond to the Word of God. On Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, not just on Sunday. First, we are to be swift to hear, verse 19. Swift to hear means to be eager to listen to the Bible. We should be hungry to study the Word of God. We should be attentive and anxious to read the Bible and to increase our knowledge of God's Word every single chance we get. One of the classic markers of a true disciple of Jesus is that they want more of the Bible, not less. True disciples of Jesus don't look for shorter sermons and quick and easy Bible studies so that they can get on with other things that they want to do on Sunday. True disciples drink up the the Bible. They come back for more. They thirst for it. True disciples can't get enough of the Bible. The Jewish Mishnah 
which is a collection of Jewish writings spanning the first two centuries, has an interesting statement that we Christians would do well to grasp. They write, there are four types of disciples, swift to hear and swift to lose, slow to hear and slow to lose, slow to hear and swift to lose, and swift to hear and slow to lose. That's a good reminder for all of us. All Christians ought to be swift to hear and slow to lose what we hear from the Bible. Some Christians receive the word of God like sponges, soaking up every drop. Sadly, far too many Christians are more like plastic wrap. The word runs off with no apparent effect. The second characteristic of a right reaction to the Bible is that we are slow to speak. Now, my friends, being slow to speak does not mean that we speak slowly. It means that we exercise restraint in expressing our opinions and our reactions to anything and everything. We don't sound off quickly. We do not hastily let fly with our thoughts and our reactions. Instead, we let the Word of God seep into the crevices of our souls and reformat the neurons in our minds. We consider it. We think about it. We cogitate on the Bible. Like a cow chewing a cud, we take our time to swallow what we are hearing. We are quick to hear, but slow to speak. People today are just the opposite. We are slow to hear and quick to speak. Social media breeds a culture of quick criticisms, mean retorts, and sharp put-downs. Twitter and Facebook encourage insults. We like to make fun of everyone with whom we disagree. We often say things on social media that we would never think of saying to someone in person. Social media makes it seem less personal, but it's not less devastating. It's just as hurtful. And we are addicted to social media. In 2022, 4.48 billion people use social media globally, up from 2 billion in 2015. The average person has 8.4 social media accounts, almost double the amount since 2014. The average person now spends two hours and 25 minutes a day on social media. If a person starts at 16 and continues on social media until they are 70, they will spend 5.7 years of their lives on social media. 72% of the American population has social media accounts, which is growing 4.3% yearly. We'd be better off cogitating on the Bible and letting it seep into our souls and create new pathways in our minds. My friends, when we let the Word of God reshape our thinking and reformat our feelings, we will become swift to hear and slow to speak. The third reaction that will change in us is that we become slow to anger. 
You will notice that James speaks about being slow to anger. He does not say that we should never be angry. There is, of course, a time and a place for anger. Christians should be angry about what God gets angry about. But we should not be quick to anger about our, about our feelings and our opinions. James is talking about an attitude of hostility, a tendency toward outrage. The word means the anger of argumentation. Some Christians just love to argue. But James says to be slow to anger. An argumentative spirit usually produces more heat than light. Hostile words produce hostile reactions. And this is not how a mind shaped by the word of God should react. James goes on to develop this third characteristic in verse 20. He writes, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. They are incompatible with one another. Anger does not produce God's righteousness in us. Anger does not produce right conduct in us and certainly does not produce a healthy response in those who are on the receiving end of our anger. Once again, social media drives outrage. Our world is constantly outraged about whatever the latest hot-button topic is. The news feeds and the Facebook algorithms constantly stir up anger in us. But James tells us that we should react to the word of God by being swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We can boil it down this way. Do we have a teachable spirit? Since the Word of God generally comes to us not only through our own study of the Bible, but through other believers, it is important that we react properly to the Word as we receive it from others. Do we have a teachable spirit that listens first and speaks carefully? Or do we have a quick-tempered, opinionated attitude about everything? Are we someone who has all the answers and won't listen to anyone else who might think differently about things. One writer used the analogy that some Christians have minds like a swinging screen door. Most anything can get in and out easily. But others have minds like a bank vault, anything new and it clangs shut. Well, either extreme is unhealthy. Friends, a teachable spirit is one of the most important qualities of the Christian life. A teachable spirit shows that we are allowing the Bible to shape our reactions in life. So, we've looked at our reaction to the Word. Now let's look at our reception of the Word in verse 21. James writes, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Our reaction to the word is determined by our reception of the word. So, how do we foster a proper reaction to the word? 
By that I mean, how do we become swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? We must have a proper reception of the word to develop right reactions in life. How do we receive the word properly? We must receive the word in two ways in verse 21. We receive the word by stripping our sins. We are commanded to receive the word, but part of that command to receive is the putting off of certain things. How do we receive the word? We receive the word by putting off or putting aside the things that will distract us from receiving the Bible. The word putting off refers to taking off our clothes. It means to strip ourselves of something. James goes on to identify two items we are to strip away as we receive the Bible in our hearts and in our minds. We are to strip ourselves of all filthiness. The word was used for dirty clothes and also referred to immorality. Later, the word was used as a medical term for cleaning out your ears so you could hear better. James is saying, look, dig out your ears. Dig out your ears. Receive the Bible properly. And receiving the Bible properly is going to require a moral cleansing, a spiritual digging out of our ears. Only after we dig out our spiritual ears will we become quick to hear what God has to say to us in the Bible. And we are to strip ourselves of all that remains of wickedness. One scholar translates this as the great mass of malice. The New English Bible translates it as the malice that hurries to excess. You see, my friends, sin has a way of expanding. Sin has a fermenting force until it gets a grip on our lives, which is very hard to break. We can't break it ourselves, only God can. Because sin becomes addictive and controlling if we let wickedness hurry to excess. We are to strip ourselves of this ever-expanding, all-pervasive force in our lives called sin. Sin will crowd out the Bible from our lives. So we must strip away the sin that hinders us from learning what God has to say. What we are talking about here is changed lives. Christianity is all about transformation. It is all about changed lives. You cannot welcome the word of God while still loving the world of sin. The responsibility in this verse is on us. The Greek construction indicates that we do it for our benefit. Obviously, we cannot cleanse our lives by ourselves. We need God's help to do it, but we must still do it. Apart from Christ's cross work, apart from what he has done for us and brought forgiveness and regenerated us and justified us, and apart from his enabling work and the work of the Spirit, we can't do it ourselves. But we must still take action 
by his grace and by his strength. We must strip off our sinful tendencies as we welcome the Bible into our lives. The Bible is alive with the hope that our lives can be changed as we welcome God's word because the Bible is the means God uses to transform us. The power of the Bible to change lives was demonstrated by the story of the South Sea Islander during World War II, who proudly displayed his Bible to an American GI. In America, we've outgrown that sort of thing, the soldier responded. The native smiled back and said, It's a good thing we haven't, or you would have been a meal by now. Only the Bible could transform cannibals into citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And all over the world, the Bible is radically changing lives. The Word of God is the most powerful force the world has ever known for transforming evil into good. Will you let God change you by the power of his Word? So, how do we receive the word properly? By stripping our sins and by welcoming the word, verse 21. So, we come here to the climax of this passage, and it is a command. The verb translated as receive means to welcome the word. The verb was used to describe the Berean Christians in Acts 17, verse 11. They were sponge Christians, soaking up the word of God. We should be sponge Christians, too. We should welcome the Bible with enthusiasm. We are to cherish and crave the word of God. It should be like gold fever. We will do whatever we need to do to get the treasure that is the word of God. It took Chelsea Gotta 51 days of searching to find the treasure buried just off Mueller Park Trail in Bountiful, Utah. She found the buried treasure under a tree on July 16, 2023. Chelsea is from Pella, Iowa, and she saw the treasure hunt on Facebook. She began studying the clues carefully and figured out the key to the map. She zoomed out on Google Maps and saw that Mueller Park Trail formed an upside-down church steeple. And the key clue read, what points toward heaven but is upside down? A church steeple. Chelsea made multiple trips to Utah and spent many hours scouring the trail. She only had a few hours left before she had to make the 16-hour drive home, and she was in tears as she sat under the tree, just covered in dirt from her digging ex expedition. My time was running out. I was getting frustrated. I was crying, she said. I'm like, I've wasted all this time. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? Then she stood up and went back to work digging near the tree where she finally found the chest full of money. Chelsea said, Everybody at work thinks I'm crazy. 
Everybody at home thinks I'm crazy. I just started texting people from work. I told you. I told you. My friends, would we work as hard as Chelsea to find the treasures of the Bible? Psalm 119.72 reads, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Is it? Is the Bible more valuable to us than our bank accounts? Than searching for a treasure box under a tree? James tells us that we welcome the word in humility. We start by understanding our own sinfulness. We welcome the word by being submissive to God. We welcome the Bible with a teachable spirit that says to God, Search me and show me your ways, God. A well-known summary of how we learn explains learning in four steps or stages. Number one, you don't know it and you don't know that you don't know it. Stage two, you don't know it, but you know that you don't know it. Stage three, you know it, but you don't know that you know it. And stage four, you know it, and you know that you know it. Well, most people say, that we achieve learning when we arrive at stage four. We know it, and we know that we know it. There is a pride that seeps into stage four, which actually kills the learning process. There's an arrogance to education that inhibits a teachable spirit. I believe stage three is where we should live in this life. We know it, but we don't know that we know it. This will help us stay in the learning mode and is especially true of the Bible. We never arrive at a full understanding of the Bible. We should never think that we have arrived at our knowledge of the Bible. We should be lifelong learners of God's word. There is a humility that should permeate our lives as we study the Bible. Secondly, we welcome the implanted word. James compares the Bible to a seed that is planted in us at conversion. When God gives us new life in Christ, he plants his word in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. But that seed cannot grow into a fruitful plant unless we welcome it by cultivating the soil and stripping away the weeds. Christians who are living defeated lives are defeated not because the word is impotent, but because the word is unwelcome. Just like a seed in the ground doesn't grow unless the conditions are conducive to growth, so the word implanted in us doesn't grow unless we cultivate a welcoming environment for growth. James tells us that the implanted word of God is capable of saving our souls. The word translated is able means that the Bible has the power or strength or capacity or capability 
to save us. To understand what James is saying here, we must remember the threefold nature of salvation. There are three tenses of salvation. First, we are saved from the penalty of sin at conversion. We call conversion the past tense of salvation. Second, we are being saved from the power of sin as we grow in this life. We call this theologically sanctification, and it is the present tense of salvation. And third, we will be saved from the presence of sin in the future. We call this glorification, and it is the future tense of salvation. The three tenses of salvation explain why James can talk about the implanted word being able to save us. God implants his word at conversion, but salvation just begins at that point. It's not the end. It does not end there. The implanted word is fully capable of saving us from the power of sin right now. God enables us for that. God enables us to live victorious lives over the power of sin right now. And the implanted word is fully capable of saving us from the very presence of sin one day when we get to heaven. We won't be complete until that day. So, my friends, let's welcome the word into our lives to perform its mighty work of transformation. The Bible is the most powerful message in the world because God's word transforms human lives. No other message can do that. Welcoming the word of God is how defeated Christians can become victorious Christians by the power of the Bible. Our reaction to the word is determined by our reception of the word. So how do you receive the word? Do you welcome the word or ignore it? Do I? Do we look for every opportunity to read and study the Bible, or are we apathetic about it? Do we read the Bible only when we have time after all the important things in our lives are done? Is studying the Bible like eating leftovers? Or do we hunger and thirst to learn from God's Word? Do we want to go to God's Word first before all of the other things in our lives? Most importantly, do we obey what we learn? Gary Brashears told the story about a novice pilot who was overtaken by bad weather and found himself fighting for his life. A cloud surrounded him and he became disoriented. He cried into the radio for help and a radio controller came on the air. The controller directed his attention to the gauges on the instrument panel. The pilot knew how to fly. The pilot knew how to read the instrument panel and he could tell the controller what those instruments said. But he became so panic-stricken that he could not follow the directions. He would not move the controls like he was told to do. 
Finally, in desperation, the controller begged the pilot to trust the instruments or he was going to crash because he wasn't following the directions. The only sound the controller heard was, Help! Help! And then silence. The pilot knew that he was in trouble. He cried out for help. But when the help came, he wouldn't follow the directions. He died not from lack of information. He died from an unwillingness to do what he was told. Many Christians are like that. We know that we have a problem. We cry out to God for help, but we refuse to do what God tells us to do. We either ignore the Bible, or worse, we reject it. We fail not from a lack of information, but from an unwillingness to welcome the Word of God into our lives. God gives us the answers. We choose not to learn those answers, or we decide not to follow those directions. My friends, don't crash your life because you refuse to study the Bible. 